Hey, Internet, my name is Jonathan Fisk. Uh, it's time to wake up because you've fallen under the influence. He is risen. You are paid for. Uh, that means you're immortal now and he won't be long anyway. You're listening to the Saturday Morning Chill brought to you by Mad Christianity. And I, I messed it up again, but that's OK. We'll, we'll, we'll get there one of these days. Stick around. Hey, Internet, my name is Jonathan Fisk. I am here to rescue you. You've fallen under the influence. It's time to wake up. Jesus Christ is risen. That means you're paid for and you are immortal now. He is not going to be long anyway. This is the Mad Christian Saturday Morning Chill. It is December 26th, the day after Christmas and all through the house. My guess is everyone's just kind of wanting to chill today and not do a lot of work. That's how I felt. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. I have a show tomorrow. Like I said, like, what was it, 11 o'clock last night? Oh, and 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 um, thankfully, you guys have been so excited about Christmas that you didn't send any questions this week either. So, so we really got one question, and it's a it's a doozy, and we'll take us a moment to dig into this one. But we really got one question already from you. But certainly then, whatever you put in the comments this morning, we'll be trying to pick up. Um, I'd love to hear from the person who comes by every single week around this time just to give me the single thumbs down. We get a single thumbs down every week by the time the show's over. And, uh, I, you know, if you want to talk to me about that, I'd love to hear. I'd love to hear what, what's so inspiring that on the day after Christmas you, you got up just to do that. Or maybe you're just always here, right? And, and it comes through. But that's fascinating to me. We'll be talking about Talk Them Into It. We'll spend some time in, in one of the chapters here for sure. Um, but by and large, I mean, this is as chill as it's going to get. Um, I do have uh, this giant pile of, of thoughts that may or may not make it into a book or not a book someday um, out of my smart knowing pile from over there. So we can pull any one of these out at any time. I like this first one. It's been on my mind a bit here. I forget if it was Kuntz who said this in one of the conversations I had with him. I have so many great conversations with other good theologians, right? And after a while, it starts to bleed together, and it's just what I think, <laughs> which isn't really what I think, right? It's what I got taught by people who know the Word of God, which is very helpful. Christianity is supposed to be risky what like where did that idea come from i mean that's in the bible there's been very little risk taken in christianity from what i've seen in america usually it's all about uh, you know avoiding risk these days not not i'm not talking covid i'm talking pre-covid uh, risk management, all that kind of stuff, making sure that we're safe, making sure we got enough bread for tomorrow, all that um hey, hey chief of sinners by the way but but this idea that that uh, well, maybe life is risky because life is on a sinful, broken planet where you're going to die, right? Right? You ready for that one? You're going to die. And uh, when that happens, it does not guarantee the end. I guess it could be. I mean, if we want to go straight up right now, like head to head, just make stuff up, like you got 50-50, right? I mean, that's the old gambit. Oh, well, you're better off believing in God than not on that 50-50 shot, right? Like, if you're the atheist, like, you're really, really going out on a limb and and taking the bad bet just from an unbelieving betting man's perspective, right? <laughs> Does God exist? But but let's take that other side then. You know, oops, he does. Rolled red. Uh, <laughs> what happens next after death? Well, how do you know it's better? Why would you assume such a thing, given how bad this one's been? Oh, you think this one's great? Hang on for a while. Just go, go do something else. Come back in ten years. <laughs> right? I, you know, wherever you're at, uh, it's gonna take you a little more time to figure out that. Yep, yep, you're gonna die and it's gonna hurt. And what are you gonna do about this? And what does your inner life have to say about this? I mean, you know, that self-talk in your head, the one you keep trying to ignore with all the stimu- stimulations that. You throw at it to try to pretend, you know, that that you're not going to deal with it. Oh, keep going. Buy some more. Bury it, right? Right? 
You can't stop your death, and you can't stop the fact that after your death, it is going to continue. And that what God, if he's a good at all, let's just stick with the philosophy for a moment. If there's a good God and there's an after death, you know what's going to happen after death? All the people who didn't get what they deserved in this world, like life, got? You know what's going to happen? If there's a good God at all, they're going to get what they deserve, Right? Like, wouldn't that be what a good guy would do? All right, all right. So so just, now, now we're, you're going to head into this thing assuming that the good God's going to give all evil people what they deserve, and now you're assuming you're good, right? So that's where the trick with Christianity comes along. It's like, okay, so before we hit this Judgment Day thing, let's take a long moment, a good mirror look here, right? And ask, thought, word, deed, on the balance of the scale, just how on the perfect am I? <laughs> A little off it, maybe? Touch? Baby down? Yeah? Uh, So then what? What are you going to do? Standing there when only the righteous enter. Uh, What are you going to do when what you have thought, seen, done, affirmed, uh, omitted, stopping, when all of that comes due, what are you going to do? And, you know, Christianity is the good news that none of us can do anything about it. I mean, hold tight, right? Sit there for a second. Listen, you can't do anything. You're going to burn. Ah! We're all going to die. Ah! Damnation. Ah! Christianity's like, yep, that's it. Sit tight. Hold back. Strap in. Here it comes. Oh, by the way, one guy went through it already. His name's Jesus. He beat the whole thing. And if you have his blood covering you, it's still going to hurt like the dickens. But you won't be dead. You'll actually be eternally alive. We're not even sure entirely what that means. We know that until he returns and raises our bodies from the dead, it's going to be sort of a a cosmically unique thing, like an intervention to prevent the tearing apart of humanity from happening without putting it back together yet. That's the end times, the last day kind of thing, right? So you die, you go to be with Jesus, we don't know, it's heaven, it's, it's restful, it's good. But what we're really waiting for is that resurrection, right? They're being put back in. In any case, Christianity is the certainty that this guy Jesus did this, right? That he achieves this. And it's not just some assertion. We're not just making this up like, oh, wow, I think God's like an elephant in the sky or maybe like a spaghetti monster. That sounds fun. I'm so bored with my life. I just have time to ponder these things and make them up and laugh and not worry about ramifications. <laughs> uh, who cares if generations later, the, the children of the people I've taught to be amoral will all tear their own houses down in rage. Who cares? We're so smart these days, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. The moral quandary that we've been put into by the previous generation is is just really something when it comes to it. I forgot. I went so far into that. I'm not even sure what I'm arguing against anymore. Jesus of Nazareth has single-handedly defeated death. And if you care to do any any real looking into religions, that's not just like what I think ahead of time and I'm going to go get my confirmation bias on, like, like go check out the history of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not some some ideology that we're just throwing around. This is an event that so impacted the the medieval, the pre-medieval, the ancient world that it created the medieval world. It, it was so important and so revolutionary at the time and so unable to be debated against, they had to kill the guys who were talking about it, and that only kept it going further, especially because at the time they were raising people from the dead and doing miracles and stuff. Of course, that's passed on, and I think there's a reason for that, because the sign was the end of the old covenant and the beginning of these last days. That's what all the miracles were for. And here we are then. Here we are then celebrating Christmas yesterday. 
the birth of this man, not his crucifixion, his death, his resurrection, ascension, return, but all those are tied to it. Why are we celebrating his birth? Because of those things. We're celebrating the incarnation of this man in our flesh as God to do these things. Now, I, I don't know where you're at, you know, what you got yesterday, but let me tell you, it was normal. It was like the most normal day of the last year that I've had. Of course, for me, I'm already in next year. I've, I've completely lost my marbles. I am living in 2025. I'm going to start signing stuff this way. So not checks, probably. That won't work. <laughs> but letters and whatever. Right. 2025 AD. Since everyone else is in CE now, 2020 CE, about to go into 2021 common era, which begins with the birth of Jesus, but don't tell anybody. Uh, well, how about how about the AD then? I'm going to stick with 2025 AD. That's a good guess. It's between 2024 and 2026 AD, and that's where we can't really get more narrow, but we know that it's not as early as we think it is. So, um, yeah, how's that? How's that? I'm, I'm living in Advent 2025. I'm excited about how Christmas this year, Advent 2025, was just like Christmas every year before, only better, only more fulfilling as I knew that the triumph of light over darkness, well, it had some chutzpah this year, didn't it now? Yeah. Um, so, so is that what you got? Uh, I know there's a lot of places where people didn't even gather for Christmas. I, I find that sad. I understand risk management. I do. I understand not wanting to, um, accidentally die foolheartedly, right? A foolhardy, foolishly heartily. Foolheartedly. I really want to say foolheartedly. I don't think that one works at all. Oh my goodness. So, if you're a betting person, you know judgment's coming. Just leave it at that. Apologetics. If you're an honest person, you know the scales aren't in your favor. If you're, well, bothered by that, Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. You're paid for. Now, what this does is change everything, right? Now it's not you. Now it's us. <laughs> now it's him. It used to be about how I was going to get mine in this life. Remember that? Christian? Yeah, you're a Christian. You're like, hey, I'm a Christian, but I'm going to get mine. <laughs> I'm a Christian, but I'm going to retire. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to own land. I'm a Christian, but I'm going to have my career, right? right? As opposed to if the Lord wills. If Jesus is kind to me, I'll try this one on. If Jesus Christ tarries and does not return, then I would like to. Try this one on. If you, Jesus Christ, tarry, would you be so kind as to let me? <laughs> Ooh, see the slip? Yeah, like, we've had our nose just gone woof, woof, woof by this culture for the last 40 years, and we don't even realize we're not praying anymore. We're just boasting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, stop, ponder it, look around, listen. Uh, I had to beat myself over the head with this one, still do. Try it, try it on, try it on. Here it is. Uh, goals are wasted dreams. And dreams are wasted prayers. I'm not kidding. Write it down. Take it to the bank. Circle around that one. Say it every day for a little while. It, it Really? What have we been doing? What have I been doing? I'm yelling at you. It's me, right? I've been trying to achieve and achieve and achieve. And the Lord is blessed in many ways, but I got to sit back and say, wait a minute, because I tried to achieve? No. Well, because he was good and blessed in the first place. Imagine how much more he could do if I was out of the way. 
You know what I'm saying? Oh, goodness. So I, I guess that'll have to do for an openly an opening monologue this morning. I think it probably was entertaining, if if not entirely fulfilling. Uh, it is the day after Christmas, and uh, we have, again, very little content other than, well, Jesus Christ being risen, Christianity being the one bulwark and arc to navigate us through this failing chaos of an age. I mean, it's, it's not that bad after all, but uh, I'm going to go ahead and take a small opening break here. Don't I, I used to have a one-minute one. Now I don't anymore. So we won't take the full the full three minutes here, but hang tight for a sec. We'll be back with uh, some comments from you, and then I'll be zooming through the side comments. So if you got questions for me, throw them in the comments during this break so we can get them next next section. Hang tight. We'll be right back. transition but um now uh, i still am having this one issue i love right now i got a camera right here behind a screen which is really cool but the screen's so small i can't read the question from judith which says this now i can but now i can't look at you right uh thank you for all you do pastor fisk your youtube and sermons are a big part of my life i found this verse this morning they shall eat those things with which the atonement was made to consecrate and to sanctify them, but an outsider shall not eat of them because they are holy. I'm wondering if this points forward to the Lord's Supper or is rather an antitype of it. Does it even speak to closed communion? So, okay, you got a number of layers to that question there, and they're really, really good layers. What you're seeing is, though, uh, the definition of holiness. So let's stick with that for a second. Um, but then, we, well, let's come back to that. That's the main idea. Whenever you're going to deal with Levitical code, whenever you're going to deal with the Old Testament, you have to remember how many layers of context are removed from you, right? So who are you? I'll just use me. I live in Illinois. I'm an American. I'm a Lutheran. I'm a Christian. Okay, but I'm not an apostle. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a first century thinker. I'm a modern person. I have a lot of assumptions about, say, where the sun is and how it works that ancient peoples didn't have, right? So that doesn't necessarily mean the Bible's right or wrong. The Bible doesn't care about that conversation per se. In any case, I'm I'm removed from what would be assumed by uh, people reading the Old Testament in Jerusalem in the first century, right? And so, you know, they would see the Levitical codes a certain way, and they would have had debates. There'd be three, four, five, seven different ways of looking at it, some really big ones, Pharisees, Sadducees, Essene, right? So some traditions that we have of, of looking at these very same texts and saying, okay, here's what we think that they mean. And they all would have recognized, by the way, that holiness had something to do with it. So we'll come back to that in a sec. But so if you're going to go back and look at these texts, <clears throat> From that perspective, you have to go even further and see past see David's throne and the editorial work that may or may not have gone on on some of the edges of these texts. And that's a big debate. I don't even want to get into that. But certainly the cataloging and organizing of these works, the Psalms particularly, um, happens post-David. But then David starts the things that happen there. And, of course, he's writing some of these Psalms and whatnot. Um, uh, and so, uh, so they would have had a, a, a lens by which you can see into Leviticus, right? So the Psalms particularly, because they are the prayer book and the song book of the temple where Leviticus was being 
practiced. You can see through what they're saying it's doing into the text as well and get a big picture. And there's, there's people who spend their lives writing books about this. Um, I am I am by no means an expert, so I may I may misnomer here uh, in a moment, but. Um, I, I verbed it. I really did. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so, you know, past David's lineage and then into the, the Torah itself, the books of Moses and the placement of it as this people set apart to be the lineage through whom God will bless the world by a single seed born of woman to destroy the serpent. And that they were given as they sojourned through the wilderness into the promised land certain codifications of that promise coming to pass. And that's what Leviticus ultimately tends to be. And what you're picking up on with your question is that inside of this book, you find a echo, dare I say it? I mean, I, it's, it's right here. It's right here. I, I can move it over to really get the product placement. Oh, where are we there? We, you know, whatever. Um, you know, you hear an echo of what you believe in the New Testament. You're, well, this sounds a whole lot like the, there's a meal that has to do with atoning or paying for your sin that has already happened but you're supposed to eat of that meal and then people who are not believers who are not part of the holy community they don't eat of that meal and you're like wait a minute that sounds like the lord's supper and i'm like yes you're right it does and anti-type exactly you got the word typology right what you see here is a foreshadow an echo or the fact that god isn't really that different i mean new wine in new wineskins is what the new testament is we, we've stripped away some of the shadows and oh dare i say penumbra <laughs> uh, the cloudiness of the mirror of the old testament and we've seen them clearly now but it's not like he's a different god and he certainly has always been, here's the big de deal now, he's been the holy God. Now, holy is a word that, for all of its uniqueness, oh, oh, see what I did there? And I really did wink as you on a camera, so you know I'm not lying. <laughs> uh, you see what I did there? Holiness is unique. That's the definition of the word. It's a word so unique, we almost don't know what it means anymore, because it mostly means like sanctimoniously annoying, right? Like holier than thou is sort of how the language is popularized. Um, but in the Bible, when we translate into English with this word holy, which I'm, I'm frankly up for like shifting that to like sanctified or things like that. But anyway, um, in the Bible, this word holy is specifically dealing with the uniqueness of God himself as being not created. So before this word means anything else, it is how God is not us. It is closely related to the word of glory, his glory. Also not unrelated to his word righteousness, but it is about his being set apart. So the word I try to use the most often is two words, set apart, right? It, not creation is God. And then when God's holiness comes into creation and starts setting apart parts of the fallen creation so that they will not be burned with the rest of creation, well, that's what then the holiness of both Old and New Testament ends up being is that setting apart of things not to be burned. <laughs> you do this when you're getting rid of trash, don't you? Uh, so, <laughs> well, I mean, the, in, if you don't believe the world has fallen, that's a different conversation than the one we're having right now. So, uh, absolutely, what you see here is that he's saying this way of saving you, which is Jesus Christ prophesied, as opposed to Jesus Christ 
preached, right? That'd be the big difference between Old and New Testament. Jesus Christ prophesied via, via Jesus Christ preached. And they're not that different except, you know, looking forward, looking back kind of thing, right? Um, but that in that reality, it's very clear. It says, you are going to be different than the world. Well, where'd it go? I threw these away already. Here it is. Wait, Christianity is what is it? We said it earlier. It's inherently risky. Well, there we go. You are going to be different than the world. They're going to look at you and be like, you're weird. You'll be like, yep, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> uh, I'm from, well, Illinois. Uh, I'm not. I'm from California. Same thing. Just no salt air, which is kind of sad. But anyway, apparently we have a big lake that way. Yeah, something like that. Um, to be set apart by God in the Old Testament meant to be near the Ark of the Covenant. It had to happen. To be fair, this is post-Exodus. If you go back to Genesis, not the case, right? Um, now you have God acting in even more various and strange ways than he does uh, in, in uh, Exodus and whatnot. So, uh, but that Ark, that box, from the moment that it gets covenanted, uh, becomes the only way to be saved now, is it possible that some of the sons of Noah getting off the ark who went east still had the proto-gospel at the same time that, say, uh, Moses is bringing the people out of Egypt 500-some-odd years, you know, 800 years later? Um, yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, you can do the whole thing with the Chinese language and see how the, you know, the, the story was, was kept over there and all that. You know, that's not the point. Uh, the point is even that, like, say, Melchizedek and kind of religion couldn't still be there. In fact, we know from uh, uh, Balaam that some form of other almost Hebrew prophecy was going on, all this. So, but increasingly, post-flood getting off with Noah's promises, there are no promises that anyone believes except for this box, and this box is unique, and it's that the people who have this box are a pureblood, honestly, like Harry Potter style, uh, but... Jew from whom <laughs> mean it uh, from whom uh, the Christ will come because he Jesus is a, a Judeite from the line of Judah the, the tribe that David is in yeah a little town of Bethlehem and, and all that kind of stuff huh. Huh. so them being set apart by God with this box for Jesus to come is not so different from us being set apart now with Jesus having come according to himself as the replacement for the box. Now, this is maybe the place where if you're an evangelical uh, or if you're a Jew, uh, you're like, what is he talking about? And I'm just going to say it again. So the Ark of the Covenant was the old covenant's box, sign, seal, proximity, place where the holiness resided. Yeah. Glory. Yeah. Uh, Jesus is the New Testament box, right? Simeon in the temple, a Hebrew uh, himself, living in that temple, praying for salvation, sees the baby, takes him up in his arms, and is like, oh, there he is, God's covenantal seal. And of course, Christians know this happens when he dies on the cross. Uh, we, we could jump to all of that, but the, the point for the question then is, um, isn't it interesting that there's like this holy meal that they have to participate in? There was actually a bunch of them in Leviticus, a ton of holy meals, all the time kind of stuff going on. Isn't it interesting that Jesus comes along and he says, but, 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 but I say to you, <laughs> don't miss that, uh, but I say to you, yeah, that was all true. And now here's this new, that's even more, a new command I give you, take eat, this is my body. And uh, 
<laughs> to deny the, the propitiary satisfaction, the atonement that Jesus uh, achieves uh, for us on the cross once for all time uh, is foolhardy. To say that that once for all time thing doesn't need to be given to you in time and space is also foolhardy, right? Oh, I, I, Jesus saved me. I don't need the Lord's Supper. What are you talking about? It's his supper. It's how he's saving you. It's the way he wants to. What are you talking about? Jesus, I won't let you save me according to your word. I'll do it myself somehow by believing in you apart from your, what are you talking about? So the supper is Jesus, holy proximity coming to you. And he, and he says it so clearly. We've debated it because we want to be scientists rather than lovers of wisdom or lovers of God uh, for the last, what, 500 years. We've wanted to play with the world and have it like us. And we've adopted systems of thought that we can clearly see are not doing so well. So, so forgive me for backing off just a moment on that. And and uh, insisting then uh, that the holy meal of Christianity uh, uh, is a more scientifically reliable cosmic truth, when Judgment Day comes for sure, uh, than just about anything else out there. And for you to pick up that the Old Testament was laying it down before it even came, well, yeah, well done. Good for you, Judith. Way to, way to see it there. Now, again, you cannot go and say, this is the Lord's Supper. You cannot go and say one-to-one, but you can see the echo. Right, You can see how the same God's behind that covenant, old wineskins, as the one is behind this covenant, new wineskins. You could even see how it's all really one covenant, that is the proto-evangelion of the one who will be born of woman to crush the serpent's head. You can see that, right, that he's working through this, but you can also see that it really wasn't going to be about just the Jews by themselves. Huh? It was about one of them who was going to defeat death in their midst with or without them for them, and then many of them would believe, and so would many throughout the entire world. And here we are. We're still watching this whole thing take place. It is interesting that those to whom he came received him not, by and large, and then continue to do so. Uh, Romans 9, 10, 11. It can be debated about what that means, and will they come back at some point, and all this kind of stuff. Um, it, it, that's aside from the fact that the Old Covenant pictures, signs, events, bloodletting particularly all has been achieved not by bulls and goats yeah, uh, but by a single perfect lamb uh, not a lamb a man one human sacrifice who himself so divinely real and perfect so bloodlessly true not blood, bloody bloodily true filled with with the incarnate begotten spirit breathing and proceeding from him god uh, that he in flesh manifested as a baby, cooing and all that, uh, so that he could be this uh, consecrated sacrifice outside the city, uh, the scapegoat of scapegoats, uh, that we could eat him. And again, it shouldn't be surprising then, given what is done with the sacrifices in the Old Testament, that he turns around and is like, all right, eat this. And all y'all that are like, well, we're not going to, it's just a song, it's just a well, okay, well, what would you guys, Old Test, okay. I mean, it's really interesting, Marcy Nights. Okay, so <laughs> I don't mean to be a jerk. And uh, I'm going to take another quick break. Not really. I'm just going to skim your comments, pull some, and then come back. Uh, so we're going to do your questions. Hang on. Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> well. All right. I, again, we're, we're this is such a half show this morning. We are literally just chilling. And I said literally because my kids say literally every time. Let's see here. I'm I'm skimming the early comments for some anything you guys would say that would be worth chatting about. Uh, 
Uh, <laughs> battery. This is what I was supposed to be doing, but I was like, oh, it's too early to go to break. You can't do that yet. Uh, we have a lot of... Oh, here we go. Here we go. Jim Anderson says this. He says, does this rant <laughs> relate to... Uh, I think it's a single O guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. You call it it's ranting. I'm loving it. It's good. Does it relate to the opinio legis, you asked? The opinion of the law? Probably. Everything relates to the opinion of the law, right? Uh, what is what is the opinion of the law? What is the opinio legis? So this is just a nice shorthand way for remembering that fallen man likes to take even the best gifts of God and then use them in the worst possible way. So we'll take something like a good work that he gives us. Like he's like, hey, man, I made you. We're like, all right. He's like, guess what? What's that? I got some work for you to do. You're like, oh, really? You just made me. I'm kind of tired. Can I rest? He's like, but it's good work. It's going to be good for you. And you're like, hmm, it's good work. Okay, uh, maybe I can get something out of this. Okay, God, I'll do the good work, but I need something in return. Right? That's the opinion of Legus. <laughs> it's so nuts. We think we need to be paid to be good. And, and it, because of that, we will look at anything that is good and we'll try to use it to get paid with. We'll try to take the law, the most divine counsel of God, just summarize it with the Ten Commandments, if that's easy for you. It is easy for you if you do it that way. Uh, we take that, which he gives us to stop us from hurting people as much as we're normally going to do. Because if we're on our own, we're going to hurt other people more than if we have the Ten Commandments with us. Just Straight up, like put that in a laboratory, run the tests. I'm pretty confident. It's going to take a couple generations, right? but I'm pretty confident. History is clear on this one. If you're not having the Ten Commandments, you got to have something like it. And go figure, the Ten Commandments tends to be the briefest summary you're going to find. Even It's even quicker than Confucius. Confucius is pretty good, yeah, but Ten Commandments kind of does it real fast, right? So it's just like, what are we arguing about? Oh, the atheists got to burr up their bond about not acknowledging that there might be a creator. Okay, thanks, guys. Really helped society out there, didn't you now? Uh, anyway, so the opinion of the law, uh, it would be that we would receive this gift from God that's there in order to stop us from hurting each other, and we would take it and we would try to use it to benefit ourselves. So that rather than seeing the law is there to me, saved by Jesus eternally, don't got to worry about it, but I should probably try to keep my flesh from hurting you, I see it instead as a way to go and do something for you. Be like, I'm doing it for Jesus because he's going to bless me afterwards. And just like that, you're an idolater. You're not in Christianity because it's risky. You're in Christianity because you can get something out of it. You're trying to gain. And hey, 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 before you get mad, we all do this. This is common. This is, no, this is, this is like baby normal. We all try to get it for ourselves. Don't pretend otherwise. That stops us from having realistic conversations. So yes, this is absolutely about the opinion of the law because it's always about how we turn things for our own benefit. And so even when God has something as simple as, hey, will you please go feed your neighbor? We're like, okay, I did it. What do I get now? Right? And, and it's always about uh, growing her own personal what, anything, whatever you think it is. You know, the truest religious man will want to grow his own personal righteousness, whether it's with God or without God, right? Uh, and so there's that, but there's people who want to grow things that aren't righteousness these days. Because uh, if, if we all wanted to grow righteousness, even if we were pagans, um, well, they'd be killing more people still because the unrighteous need to be killed usually in, in pagan religions. Um, it's just go look it up. You know, that's kind of what they do. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but nonetheless, you would then have a righteous society where you, at least you would know if people were lying, right? Well, you don't know if they, we know they are. There would be ramifications for lying, 
in the society, right? Uh, which we know there are not now. All right. So opinion of the law. Good question, Jim. Appreciate it. Uh, I'm scrolling down again to see what else maybe has been thrown uh, out here. Here's a question from Ryan. I don't know if I can answer this one. What country is the most Christian friendly? Where should we move to when the persecution gets overly oppressive? Now, the real question is, do you move when there's persecution? So let's let's deal with that one first so your conscience can be okay with this. Yeah. Persecution as a Christian when it comes to like your body, right? Like letting them kill you. I'm not talking about like you're going to live there and your neighbor's kind of a jerk, right? I'm, I'm talking about when they hurt you, when you're going to shed blood. You don't have to do that unless God makes you. Well, how would he make you? Well, they catch you and you can't get away. And so you're there and they're going to do it. At that point, it's time to believe God's going to walk you through this and start saying, God, walk me through this, right? But until that time, you have the, oh, echo, the pattern, the image of, uh, Rev, uh, sorry, Rev, uh, Matthew chapter 24, 25, and its other parallels in the Bible of the preview prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem and Jesus giving the Christians in Jerusalem permission that when they saw this all approaching to go ahead and leave the city before the city got torn down by the Romans and that way they wouldn't all have to like die of starvation like everybody else who stayed in the city did right so yeah you're you're allowed to move if you see uh, jeopardy coming the one question remains uh before you do make sure you take a good look around and ask should we make a stand Or should we move together? Well, I can't even imagine what that would look like in our day and age, how long it's been since Christian groups moved together. Uh, We we pretty much have thought we're just going to be fine where we are, right? So it's a a new kind of thing to even put out there on the radar. Uh, But if you were going to try to move to a country to be a Lutheran right now, Ryan, and after the conversation I had last Saturday with Bombaro about Latvia, I'd I'd definitely be vacationing in Latvia for a little bit. It sounds like that might be a thing because as interesting as it is to be that close to Russia, that's that's not a bad safety proximity in some ways. You know, I, I don't know. You know, and so I, I, I'd be curious about that. Clearly, there are there are some Lutheran places in um, uh, and by that, I mean uh, wanting to be biblically Christian in the midst of a failing age places in Africa. Uh, there's, it's, it's a mile wide and an inch deep from what I understand, but it's a continent that at least still wants to believe in the gods and that of the gods, the great God, Jesus is still there. Right. And there are many who believe he's the only God. And so as a, as a continent, although unrighteous men are doing all sorts of things in various places, it's a place where I think that the righteous people, uh, when they decide to gather and believe and work together and trust and follow and, and put the Ten Commandments into practice, you know, it's it's maybe a better place than, say, I don't know, Southern California at the moment, you know. But then again, uh, like, this is the time to fight. And the fight isn't, like, with your fists. It's just with staying open in places like that. And and then when they kick out, where do you move, right? They, oh, you're right. Okay, so at that point, you got to think about it. We don't have anything like that. There's nowhere like that. There's nowhere in the world like that for us. No one is coming to help you. No one is coming to save you. Please do not comply with the chaos. Figure it out. Where are you? Right? And if you don't have a flag waving, wave one. <laughs> uh, or find one where there is um, uh, near you. There, there will be. I've been saying this since Worldview Everlasting days, by the way. You can go back. And you have to watch a million of them to find out where it is. I've been saying for years. Decades even now, I could say. The time is coming where you're going to have to move to go to church. Not everybody, but some of you. 
just just know that like if you you're going to have to decide what am i doing is this my religion or is it something i kind of am doing as a what an insurance policy for my spirit there's a difference and it's not that you can't be a christian where there isn't a church the question is how are you going to get to church what are you going to do to feed yourself and your family you can take vacations to get the supper four times a year. I mean, I'm all for it. Do it, right? But the point, you got to think about it. You can't just assume it's all going to be sitting there for you. You really can't. Where, where did I see? Uh, it, somewhere, I can't remember what the fact was, so I don't want to say it wrong. It was in the last week or so, though, and something reminded me of the coming clergy shortage in my church body, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. You got You got two social phenomena happening at the same time that both have a lot to do with the boomer generation, not any individual boomer, but your impact on the world and, you know, all that. Um, the 60s. Yeah, that that kind of stuff. <laughs> Distracted by the boomers. Uh, well, I really did get so distracted by the boomers, I lost where I was going. Um, the idea that... Um, that the LCMS as constituted with all of its congregations where they are right now is going to be like that in 10 years. We've known is not true since before we stopped having services at many of our congregations for half a year. (laughs) So, you know, forget all the, I'm not 2020 in anything right now. I'm just talking about, we've known for a long time that the trajectory of the number of parishes is going to, is wide and the trajectory of the number of pastors able to serve them is shrinking. And they've been trying to shove guys in, but mostly with debt. <laughs> yeah. And then these parishes, by the way, they're not all parishes that can call. And so rather than close and consolidate, because nobody wants to do that in the parish, and our structure doesn't let us do it, instead we just have all these extended and increasingly disparate parishes of smaller and smaller numbers of people uh, and fewer and fewer pastors at all let alone ones who, well, will be faithful. I mean, there. whenever you have a pile, there's going to be bad fish in it, right? So it's like, it's it's kind of a rough thing. So you, you throw that all together and then, um, you know, ask yourself, is there even a parish in my area? If there's not, don't expect there to be one anytime soon unless you're going to start it. And, and you can, I mean, I don't, why not? You better, you should. What else? I mean, get in touch with somebody, don't do it on your own, right? But like, nobody's coming. (laughs) No one's coming to save you where you are and where the churches are right now. I mean, my advice to you is if you got one, get involved and not in a way where you're going to be annoying, like (laughs) get involved as just an attender and an eater and a chewer and a devourer of the devotion. Be, be just like driven to it as much as you can and look for the people that are there that you don't know and try to tell them about Jesus because if the group does that, I think it'll be different than it is now. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, where should we move? I don't know. I don't know. Rockford. Come to Rockford. Hey, you were already here, Ryan. You had to leave. You know, so, so I don't know. I, I'm not sure that that's really the future we're headed to of emigration just yet. Um, maybe in a generation, though. I, you might be right. And then, I don't know. It, do you think it's going to be easy to just fly to another country when all this is going down? You know? Uh, did you hear, hear about, what was it? I've said this at least two places. Um, you know, Walmart, it was in South Carolina and uh, Maryland, uh, turning down 
credit cards from out of state uh, uh, zip codes, right? So, I mean, if if it really gets as bad as some people think it's going to get and say it's going to get, I mean, we're not flying anywhere. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's sort of like where you are. Don't go run out and panic. Doesn't help. Don't go buy well, buy some fish and some cans if you want. But you know, don't go crazy. I don't think it's going to get that bad. Not yet. The bigger idea is to realize it could. And then just start thinking about a life in which things aren't as safe as you think they are because of all the people who are going to come and help you when it goes bad. Right? And remember, oh no, this is the place where like Genghis Khan came in and did that to Asia. And no one saw it coming. Right? Black Swan. Hello. So, um, yeah, just, just stick with that one. Stick with that one. But don't, don't panic because remember this too, right? Genghis Khan comes into your house. He comes into your, hey, Genghis, how you doing? <laughs> This is a fun conversation to imagine. Hey, Genghis, how you doing? He's like, I don't know. He probably had like translators and stuff. He's just kind of sitting there. He's not even working. Um, Hey, Genghis, uh, welcome, Lord Khan. I submit to you. I am a. uh, I have been sent by my holy God to speak to you about the truth, the one true religion. He'll be like, I've heard of it already. Not for me, you haven't. (laughs) Uh, No. Or here's the other one. Open it up. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name. Here they come. He's coming with the axe. Hallowed be the name. Thy kingdom come into the chest. I'm in, I'm with Jesus. Whatever. Whatever. Play it. Game it in your head, guys. Do it. Do it in the mirror. Like, you got to get off of the... <gasps> they're going to get mad at me. Like I, I'm with you. Like I have the same psychological insanity. And the antidote to this is to, to own your death. In like violent, gory detail. All the movies you've ever seen, apply it to yourself and then realize it's Jesus on the other side. Every time you're walking into a scenario where you start to feel that trigger go on, go back, go back. You're like, I'm about to die. What happens if I die right now? Can I? Where do I go? Superman with Jesus. Here we go. Why not? And I say Superman. It's not even Superman for me. I've said this before. No one gets the reference. I'm going to say it anyway. There's an old comic book series that got made into a cartoon series that got made into a really bad movie with Mark Hamill. Yeah, really. Uh, Called The Giver. And it's about this guy who gets this alien armor that, like, uh, what, it kind of, like, sucks onto his his neck, basically, and then symbiotically lives with him. But it will, in a moment, explode and cover his entire body, kind of Venom, you know, style, Carnage style, if you like the Spider-Man stuff. But cover his whole body in a moment, and he becomes, like, this super-powered defender of everything. He's just, like, he's like Voltron, but a dude. And he's, Giver! And the moment that it happens, he shouts, Giver! And it's just it's this explosion of glory. So walk that one through your death. Put it through your cancer treatments. Put it through your getting hit with a, a, an axe by Genghis Khan. Put it through the virus taking you out with the, the tubes. It doesn't matter. Gamer! You know, I'm resurrected. Walk it through your head and tell yourself that's the real story. Because you've, you've heard this from me too enough times, right? The, the problem is you think you're turning on the TV. You think you're watching Netflix. You're listening to preachers. Every movie, every show is a preacher. It's all a religion. And it's not that you're not allowed to live a life in the midst of all these false religions. To do that, you'd have to die, right? Paul says don't leave the world, but you're not supposed to live amongst all the false religions as if they're your religion. Right? You're supposed to live among them as a people set apart. Holy. Distinct. And not in all the weird ways that have nothing to do with the Bible that Christians are so often known for, like being effeminate for no good reason, or being obnoxiously masculine for no good reason, as opposed to being known for all the things the Bible actually says that we're afraid to believe. 
Here's one on. I'll try this one on for size. See if oh, see if I get in trouble. Can we get? Do I have a second negative yet? Nope. Still just one negative. <laughs> Comes by every week. Isn't that funny? Uh, I, um, you can't possibly sit and watch the whole time. Um, I, what, a, what a sad thing that would be. So how's this one on? Uh, try this one on the next time you're in a debate in the kitchen. Uh, it is better to live on the corner of a roof than with a quarrelsome wife. Ooh. But the Bible says it. So before you get mad at me for just quoting it, let's just ponder it for a second. Because I think the real point isn't necessarily about women. Although, women... If you want Bible verses that reference you, there's some that just do. <laughs> um, and, and they tend to be about a particularly kind of um, gentility, a gentility, a spirit that sees, sees in ways others don't. But, but to do that, it requires a certain level of uh, quiet perception, which, again, th- these Bible verses, you'd have to go look at them and they're not going to tell you what the 90s told you. Sorry, but but the point of this one isn't so much like, hey, lady, shut up. No, no, the point is like, dude, if you are like young and <laughs> looking for a wife, it is better to live on the corner of your roof than with a quarrelsome wife. I'm like, that's some really good dating advice. Girls, you could take that one too, right? Like you could flip it. Okay. <laughs> So before you get all up in arms about, you know, your, your, what, what, your, your systematic sexual oppression or whatever it is next. Yes, there was a time. Now the oppression ain't that. Now the oppression, we don't even know. It's from every corner. You're wearing a mask. (laughs) Think about it. Dating advice. Don't marry somebody argumentative. Why would you do that, by the way? I know why. I'm on the other side of this thing. I know why. You know that time when you were like in the movie theater and like you're sitting by her and like your breath was like kind of like a little much and the movie's on, but like her, her hand is like by yours and like the hair on your arm is like the spidey senses like tingles like, oh my, we're going to touch fingers. Okay. That's why you like her. And whether you want to call that pheromones or what do you want to call that? The, the created order, the cis commandment, whether you want to call it lust, it doesn't, they're all part of the same ball of wax, ha. Um, ball of DNA. And most people are in their dating patterns just following that. Like your nose, right? I mean, we could use that as the illustration for guys and girls. You're, you're just you're just smelling. Ooh, she smells nice. Yes, I'm in love, right? And the thing is, that's dumb. That's what a fool would do. That's what someone who is has no father would do. What is wise is to ask what she says. What does she think? I mean, why do you think Omri got Jezebel down for his, his son? Why, why do you think Jehoshaphat got Athalia for his son? Do you think it was just because they were witches? Or do you think maybe that they have some other, I don't know, attraction, <laughs> a way of uh, beguiling? And this is not to say, ladies, the same thing goes for you. Men are suave liars. Right? So, so don't, don't push this one. I'm just talking to the guys because I am one. Uh, the fact is, that most young people go pursuing their long-term, lifelong engagement with another animal body by means of whether they think they smell nice rather than what they say. That's the proverb. Now, again, I just went off on this because it's like, look how little we know. Look how little we're even allowed to talk about what we know. Look how much we have shed. I remember being so offended by... 
us. It's not Saddleback. That's the one in California. It's the one that's in Chicago that I can never remember, but Hybels is the pastor. I remember being offended when I learned that they had no crosses anywhere in the building except in the in the cafeteria. You know, that they'd remove that for the seekers. They didn't want to offend anybody. So their their strategy was to to water down and water down and make it as wide and as possible so as many people could come find Jesus without the cross as as possible. It was an interesting approach. I remember being very upset about that. But the thing is, we've all done it. We've all been doing it with the Bible. We're, we're, we're jettisoning verses left and right as Americans. Why? Because we like what we have in our clubs. We like our little cultures. We like, huh, we like the ease which has brought contempt to our mouths. Huh? Sons of Solomon, you hear me? Oh my goodness, should I do some commercials right now? By the way, you guys rock for listening to me. I'm just ranting on the day after Christmas, and there's 87 of you listening. That's awesome. We're all, hopefully, not bitter. <laughs> Instead, amazingly, I pray, uh, as much as I have to like shoot the dagger right at myself and our present, our attitudes, I don't find any of that to be particularly depressing by itself because, again... The Lord already knows all of this, right? Like, like if you have had even like this much of a wake up call since COVID where you're like, oh, I wasn't thinking about my religion nearly enough before this, right? Like you've had that much. Okay. Well, so, so Jesus was watching you before that and was like, oh, look, they're going to be unbelievers. Hmm. I'm going to do something about this. Right. And, and he woke us up. And I don't want to blame just COVID per se, but certainly it's the catalyzing, you know, macro so the fact being, again, Jesus did that knowing what we didn't know and that we know now. You can apply this the same way to his coming to die for you. He knew exactly every sin you will do from now to the day you die before he died for you, including the places where you're going to stumble from here to there and he's going to pick you up. And he's, he's not going to be like, oh man, one more time. No, he's going to be like, dude, this is why I came. Come on, keep going. You get that? I'm saying, dude, this is why I came. Come on, keep going. <laughs> it's not, he's not turning around to yell at you. No, he's not even in front of you. He's behind you. He's the fiery pillar between you and Pharaoh. Uh, he's not going to let it get to you, but he is going to let you know. He's, Look, there's Pharaoh. Can you keep moving, please? We've got to get across that water. I did it all. I'm going to kick you in the butt. Keep going. <laughs> right? Not two carts equally pulling, or not two horses equally pulling the cart. Yeah, but, but someone in a cart being pulled by a horse, it's got to go somewhere. It's got to go somewhere. All right, all right, all right. So that was good. That was a good tangent on whatever that was that you threw at me. Oh, what what country to move to? Goodness gracious. Let's see here. Um, yeah, Brian continues on for himself. You know, where would you move? Um, oh, where else would I move? I'd move to like maybe Thailand. Siam. Um, I think about that. You do have a very Roman Catholic Philippines. It'd be interesting to, uh, to see what's going on there. Some of that other Southern Asia, not not into the hot zone of India, Pakistan, but that Southern Asia Peninsula, uh, South Korea and over. There's some really nice places. Uh, there's some growth. There's some move toward first world that is. I don't know, but I don't know what COVID's done. I don't know what the. This is all like pre-COVID thinking. Um, uh, yeah, we'll leave it at that for now. I don't know, Ryan. Don't plan to move. Plan to, to dig in and uh, and die or confess. And why not both at the same time? Oh, sure, 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 sure. Um, okay, so here's here's uh, Joe asking the question, then why should we move to a more receptive country to avoid persecution? Well, There's not a should. It's not. It's you do or you don't. You're free to. 
That's, that's really the point. You're not allowed to say you can't. So different people will have a reason. Oh, you know, we just had quintuplets. Do you want to take them or should we move? <laughs> you want to take them because they're going to kill me or, or should we move? Right? Like if you're in that position, you're allowed as a Christian to move. Uh, if it's, um, you know, I just really don't want to deal with this right now. Well, that's interesting. I think you should still move if that's really where you're at, because that means your conscience isn't ready for it and you're going to move somewhere and you're going to have to wrestle with that. And that's okay too. So really it's, there's not a should or should not on this one where the Lord has not given us rules. We don't want to make them. And he has given us the permission. When you see them at the gates, you may flee, you may do it, right? This is again, uh, I'm not going to walk us through Matthew 24, 25 and all the nut that that is, but the long and short is that the Christians heard it and they did it when Jerusalem was destroyed. They fled. They got Jesus' memo. Uh, and so you, you debate the history if you want, um, but I, I'm going to stick with it. So good good stuff there. Uh, but I guess, let me give you some other reasons. Why would I maybe, golly, why can't I get this to, my, my, I'm having mouse trouble. There we go. Why would I, why would I move to avoid persecution? Because we could establish a, a permanent community uh, because we are, again, if, if we were positioned, I'm, I'm just, I don't even know who the we is in this statement, but you know, if we were positioned to be able to survive and thrive and help others, I don't know why not. I mean, God doesn't really tell you try to get destroyed. He just says, do what I said, right? And, and generally that means living in the country that you're in and praying for its welfare. If the country is actually going to kill you, do we have to stay in it? No, but just don't assume that when you move, it's going to get better. That's the bigger issue, right? If you think you're going to move to a country to avoid persecution and it's God who wants you to have that cross, you're not going to avoid that cross. So that's kind of the, where Joe is right here, right? You, you think twice about it, but uh, the migration of people groups is perfectly acceptable in scripture. And uh, particularly if you're just looking to be family, to do good for your neighborhood, like you don't have to do that in one place. We are in the diaspora. We're allowed to disperse. Excuse me. That was kind of inappropriate. All right. Uh, let's see here. I'm scrolling down through comments again, looking for something. You guys are not full of questions this week. Uh, da, 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 da. Let's see here. Adam, I don't even know. We'll just go to this and see what this one says. Adam says, Refisk as Lutherans. I can't get rid of this other one. There we go. As Lutherans who value life from the conception to natural death, what's the appropriate response to 10 of 13 since 1968 federal executions happened in the last six months? I get sword authority from Second Kings. Yeah, well... The idea that the death penalty and being pro-life don't go together is like it's like the kind of thing that somebody like yelled on a preschool playground and then an activist nearby picked it up and then a TV station picked it up and then nobody was ever around to like respond. And so they just keep saying it as if it's a logical argument, but it's it really doesn't make any sense at all to be pro-life is to believe that humans are inherently valuable. To be a mass murderer who eats humans is to be a human who doesn't think that. To have that human put to death is to tell everybody else his view doesn't think humans are inherently valuable and isn't pro-life. We need to remove people like him who unrepentantly refuse to say it's wrong to do these things. Like, like that's the idea here. That if you do not remove the evil, 
they're not going to become good just because you want them to. You want to talk about what's wrong with American society, the pie-in-the-sky elite programming for the social order they think is coming, is that they just tell us to be nice. We'll be nice. It's not going to happen, right? We're just getting worse down here on the ground. The barbarians are growing. Uh, so in any society <laughs> where lawlessness grows, you will have executions occur against the lawless. Eventually, the lawless against the lawless themselves because they have to do it because the alternative is to let their enemy kill them. And when you're talking about not an individual, we're talking about a public, we're talking about a neighborhood, a city, a town, a nation. We're talking about a king and his duty to protect his citizens. And even though we don't have a king, still the divine authority of the hierarchy exists. Hierarchy exists to protect the citizens. And so if the king decides in his role as judge that this man's crime is deserving of death for the sake of what he has done or not done or refuses to do now or uh, what he will show to everybody else if he goes unpunished, well, then therefore, so it is. And the, the fact is the Christians say, you can make that argument and we can't tell you as a king, you can't make that argument. We don't say that's the argument. We don't say that's what a king has to do. Although the Proverbs would lead one to maybe see there's great wisdom in not pretending fools aren't fools, right? And then again, we, we live in a, a legal system where uh, it's so bad. We've, we've made many of our cons who they are. And then at the same time, the whole premise is that we think bad people just don't know. They just weren't told. And so we just have to tell them and then they'll be good. And, and, and if they can't get hired after we tell them, that'll be okay. They'll work through it. <laughs> Like we do the opposite of everything we should possibly be doing for these people. It's, it's terrible. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous, the system that we have. I, and I'm no, I'm no pro in it, but I know enough to know that entrepreneurs who go in and, and do classes on you know, starting companies have a lot more help in, in, in prison than most of what we've done through taxpayer dollars. Oh, goodness. Anyway, we don't need to go into that. So federal executions, I am not necessarily advocating the death penalty as something we should have or have more of it, although I am not opposed to it. I think it's kind of a silly argument. I think it's, I mean, especially in our system where why would we, like, we can change anything. They're just going to do whatever they're doing anyway. So it's it's kind of a, a, a thing. It's, it's usually been relegated to the states for the reason of it being a divisive thing. Um, although the reason it's been a divisive thing is because America's been so filled with Christians. So I don't understand why all the communists are against the death penalty. It's kind of strange given that they're, like, asking for war trials and whatever, right? I mean, then again, you know. People do tend to, in politics, say what they need to say to get their agenda forward today, and they don't worry too much about what it really means. So keep that in mind as, as you deal with this, this topic. But okay, so if I'm king, is there a death penalty in my country? I don't want there to be. But the day that there has to be, there will be. Probably the most powerful thing in all of Game of Thrones, and I don't recommend you watch it at all at this point. You can read it. Books three and four are kind of meh. Um, but the most powerful thing is early, 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 when one of the main characters, Ned Stark, he's a lord. He's, he's not a king. He's one of four kind of main baron kind of guys. He has to put somebody to death. Well, he has to judge somebody because they have, in fact, done wrong. They have stolen. They've caused great harm. And... Uh, a sign needs to be shown to the community that you can't do this because we, we live winter's coming. You could kill us all. And so we got to make it clear. No one gets to get away with this kind of thing. And so the judgment is death. He pronounces the judgment. And then in front of his five sons, five sons, four sons, forget. Um, 
he makes sure he does the deed himself. And he says, he says these lines, I don't remember it exactly, but it's like, um, uh, you know, the mouth that spoke the judgment should swing the ax, something like that. And what's powerful about that is his recognition that no king should want the death penalty. No, nobody should want to advocate for the death penalty. You advocate for the death penalty because you have to. Because if you don't, then more people die. This is, by the way, why men make good rulers and women tend not to. Sorry, ladies, but you want everyone to survive. Men want everyone to survive too. We just know you can't make it happen, happen by wanting it. Now, young men today, we've been trained to not know that, right, guys? So uh, remember, because if we don't, we're all going to die. <laughs> yeah. So either the men don't break, we come back and we're like, yes, life's hard, walk on. Or we have the pie in the sky, no one's ever going to die and, and just stay in your homes and then we're all going to die. So, right? I mean, do you hear me? I'm not talking just COVID. I'm not. Don't go crazy on me. I'm talking about the, the, the divergent views of how you manage your life, right? Uh, what is your worldview? Do you believe you're going to live without death? Are you, do you believe you're, you're possibly going to survive long enough that, that God comes? You know, what? You don't even believe in God. You don't believe in God, but you're going to live without death. Where is this coming from? Where could you get such an idea? And so, again, in a world in which death is what it is, in a world in which evil overcomes as it does, there's a point at which good must po- must push back. Uh, let me give you a different one. What do you think happened on the cross when Jesus died? <laughs> Death penalty. Imagine if the Romans hadn't had it. Think about that. <laughs> throw it back at you that way. Uh, if the Romans hadn't had it, the Jews definitely had it. God instituted it there. Why? Why? What's Jesus doing on the cross? as those nails are going into his feet and his side. Who's getting killed there? I mean, besides Jesus and you. Whose death penalty is being carried out? Who's given the mortal wound? He looks like he's been slain, but he hasn't yet. His time is short. What do you think? This is like the big ancient thing with Origen. Remember Origen, the old church father who everyone liked until he went nuts? (laughs) <laughs> Don't tell me about it. Uh, you know, but what did he do besides cut things off? Uh, what he do was he advocated that the restoration of the devil was eventually God's plan, that everything would be redeemed because that's what true goodness would do. It's a really logical-ish kind of thing. It sounds nice, like a fairy tale. But the thing is, it's the opposite of what the Bible says. God's answer to evil is to destroy the evil, not to redeem the evil. This is what makes you and me being redeemed such a miraculous thing because his, his view of you is... Even though you're evil, he loves you anyway. There's a miracle going on. But the devil, well, the devil's not receiving this miracle. And you can be like, well, that's not fair. Okay. <laughs> Defending the devil. You're funny. Yeah. <laughs> I, if the fact is the death penalty is what the devil has, even though it's not death, annihilation style. It's, it's kind of worse, actually. It's, it's, um, it's hell. It's hell. If annihilation... I mean, like if, if death were just death, the death penalty would be kind of a mercy. What about sitting in a cell for 30 years do you think is, like, merciful? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm talking now, like, I got life in prison. Solitary. I mean, I guess I'd write, maybe. Do I get a Bible and a pencil? Right? Um, no? Kill me. Well, that sounds a lot worse. So, so all of these arguments, again... Like, <laughs> These are, these are, um, they're playground ethic arguments by children who have no ethos. 
There's no substance to their religion, and yet they shout about it. So my answer is, what do I think? The government's going to do what the government does. The sword exists. And if it's killing people, well, pray. (laughs) As opposed to sit there and argue about whether or not there should be a death penalty, as if any of us will ever get the chance to make that decision. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, We are not kings in this country, people. Uh, we do not have a say. You can you can sit here and chatter. That's what they want you to do. Is you think you're making a difference while you chatter. Uh, you're not. Uh, so again, Christianity is open to it. I mean, if you really are in the position where you get to make that decision, judge, jury, king, I mean, then again, we're open to it. Does, does the fun- punishment fit the crime? That's what it comes down to, which you can't put that in bullet points. That's the problem with the judicial system right now. Everything's by bullet point. It's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, Adam, <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. I'm sorry. I should say it's uh, lunatical. That's not a word either. I can't read this one because it's too small. Hold on. Red Fisk. Lutherans who value life from conception. Oh, 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 I just did that one. Let's 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 not do the same one again, Jonathan. Let's see. Here we go. D- do those churches connect the incarnation to the passion and resurrection of Jesus? What churches? I wonder. My question says LCMS Christian is what are your thoughts on the Septuagint? I don't really have enough of them. I've I've got one. A Septuagint. I think I got two of them. And um, I mean, why do you want to know? What do you wish to know about El Septuaginto? Uh, it is LXX, right? If you ever see LXX, it means Septuagint. That's 70 in Super Bowl numbers. <laughs> um, it is the Old Testament translated into Greek called Septuagint or 70 because of the 70 elders uh, who about 400 years before Jesus in the diaspora, probably in the Egyptian Alexandria area, uh, translated the Old Testament into Greek and published it. And it, in fact, was more popular than the Hebrew. There were more copies of it. It was around more. We really have, to this day, a better biblical tradition of this Septuagint in the New Testament times. Definitely the New Testament is quoting the Septuagint and not translating the Old Testament from Hebrew directly, which is an interesting thing for the apostles to do. It gives a certain level of affirmation to the Septuagint. There's also some debate about the divergent translation lines that the Septuagint and the Masoretic texts of the Hebrew may have had like a Pharisee-Sadducee thing going on um, that impacted how which one is more reliable on very, very narrow levels because that gets you into the issue of um, uh, textual criticism. So, which means, how do you know the text on the page of your Bible is the text the author wrote? Right, And to figure that out, you need lots and lots of copies. We have a history of this. It's not so bad. Don't worry about it. The Bible's in really good shape. But it does mean that there are places where this word or that word and Septuagint or Hebrew. Oh, interesting. They don't line up. Right, And so that's where, you know, what are my thoughts? My thoughts are each of those situations requires a certain level of careful attention that would first read the Bible from the New Testament to begin with. So it doesn't matter because no matter what you do, you're going to let the New Testament enlighten your Old Testament understanding so you can't really go wrong because you're not going to teach against what Jesus says it all means. You hear me on that? So, and, and then from there, um, you, 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 I don't think you got to worry about it too much until you're dealing with like deep exegetical study. So, which is different than say, you know, I hear an echo or there's, there's a type here, there's a picture, there's an overlap. Those things are, aren't, aren't too big of a deal. But if you're going into the deep study where you want to say, okay, definitively this text doesn't mean that and it does mean this, that's where you got to get into, um, you know, uh, what does the Septuagint say? How does it uh, impact or change what might be there? Um, does it fix something? Does it cause a problem? You know, those are the kinds of things that, that you could study. Um, 
Uh, I don't know. That, that's about what I got on it. I, I've wanted to think that maybe we should spend more time on it, but I've also, in rediscovering Hebrew, uh, realized that, you know, no, we really don't want to leave the Hebrew behind. The Hebrew is just too good. There's too much uh, of God's... The shepherd's voice is in the Hebrew. I don't know how else to say it. The shepherd's voice is in the Hebrew. He's in the Greek too. Uh, in the English, is a translation. It's it's not the same. It really isn't. I wish we could all learn Greek and just speak New Testament Greek. It'd be it'd be amazing. All right. Uh, why do so many churches get Jesus right on Christmas? Do they? Uh, and then not get him right the rest of the year? I don't know. Do they? I don't even know. I don't go to other churches. Um. <laughs> uh I need some more coffee. Hold on. I know that's water. Um, why do so many churches get Jesus right on Christmas? I don't know that they do, Chris. I really don't know they do. I mean, I know that lots of people go to church on those days. I know that they often will have like a, um, a you know a picture of a baby in a manger or something that somehow has it has shepherds and an angel, and they say that's Jesus, right? But I don't know what the rest of it is that goes on these days. Um, one of the things that I'm really wrestling with, and I don't know how much of this is like just me being in my 40s now. <laughs> uh, how much of this is like uh, the millennium shift that I've been talking about, I think, is going on. Uh, thanks to, you know, Pendulum, the book Pendulum and other stuff. Um, there's a local church here that is... Uh, it's not mainline. It's Roman Catholic. And I'm told on Christmas Eve they will get 1,000, 2,000 people coming through. More, more than that even. Huge. They just they just did this huge building project, redid a bunch of stuff. My guess is that it's not not Christian. But when you say they get it right, I'm just, I'm not sure they do. They, all those people went through and they all left and went home. And everyone's just kind of like fine, right? <laughs> I don't know. Something tells me if it's that big and they're just doing Christmas this year, um, I'm not sure they did it right at all. I mean, Christmas this year shouldn't have changed. But it shouldn't have let you think that the world hasn't changed. And, oh, oh, this is where I was going too, on the on the time thing. Like, I spent most of my life thinking of ideas as being sort of, like, instantaneous. So, like, I have a bad idea. I'm like, oh, okay, I think that's true. Uh, but it's a bad idea, I just don't know it. And then, like, like the, the punishment would be right away. Like, the result would be you'd find out right away. But the thing is, the way especially false religion works is it takes a long time to work itself out. <laughs> And, and um, I'm pretty convinced Jesus can do it in like generational, like macro attacks. So one of the things that's been just disturbing to me is watching a generation of people who jettisoned piece by piece their culture now end up in scenarios where they're entirely isolated and will die in the next year or five uh, with nothing but... NBC to talk to them. Now they can't even get visited by their pastors because they're locked down. Huh? Uh, which it's like, I'm like, what, what do you do? No, write letters. Right. But uh, a whole generation chose this for themselves. They built this. It didn't happen overnight. This took time. 
And I'm not talking about COVID. I'm talking about the losing of faith as a society. The complete collapse of our churches. Our buildings are going to be empty, most of them. So it doesn't happen overnight. If you decide today I'm going to do this thing, which is kind of wrong, it might not do much damage today, but in 40 years, your kids might be doing all sorts of damage with it. In most of the way we've approached change or mission or struggle or the culture wars in the last 40 years has been based upon single event, not long thinking. Otherwise, we wouldn't have changed with them. We wouldn't have gone with them. We would have stayed put, not, 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 not uh, Amish style, but on, on so many of these things, particularly the man and woman issues. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you go back in my church body uh, 75 years, guys and girls don't sit together. <laughs> And then, and we're like, oh, that's the, why are you talking about that, Pastor Fish? That's a big, I, I'm not even advocating. I'm just saying, look it, look it. If the whole thing fell apart, you don't know which screw it is you took out that made it fall apart until you put them all back. <laughs> that's my point. Yeah. Uh, when we've jettisoned man and woman in Christ, you don't get to tell me I'm off my rocker for saying maybe we shouldn't have. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jeez. What a place, huh? But that's where we're at. Where we're divided over that. We've been divided over that issue in the church body for a long time. And we're trying to do business together with completely different views of anthropology and guniology. That's that's in the Greek, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, completely different views of it. We're still fighting over it. Well, no one's listening now. They weren't listening before. Ah. Uh. Let's see here. Sorry, Jim. Uh, I mean, uh, Chris, I didn't like that question. I was like, rah, bitter. Uh, cafe. Yeah, especially this is back to the same question. We need to know like more about what do they get right about it. Oh, here we go. He comes back. I have heard them talk about Jesus as Savior, but then much of the rest of their preaching and voice talk of sin, which is why we need a Savior. Um, sure. What's the word Savior mean? I mean, again, most American churches are idol temples. They worship a false god. Sometimes they call him Jesus. Sometimes they don't. How can I say that? Go ask them what they believe and see if they talk about a savior who died on the cross. Most of them won't. That's how I can say it, right? They're not making that. And um, I don't know. Am I making that, my people? I mean, is that what you think? I don't know. We don't even test this stuff. We're just too busy trying to keep our stores open. Oh, sad. Let's change the product. Maybe that'll get people to come in. We'll change the product more. Yeah, that's what it is. We don't have the right product. (laughs) Oh, we don't have the right packaging on the product. Oh, goodness. What have we been doing? Um, want to know about it. about 10 commandments. Oh, sweet. Why do we focus so much on them? Oh, well, if they don't apply the same way today, interesting. Like with the Sabbath day. Oh, it so applies the same way today. It just, you're just too narrow on your Sabbath day. So check it out. The Sabbath, the rest day, uh, was a matter of being in proximity to God, right? This isn't about I rest like as in I kick up and watch TV. This is in I go to the holy place and receive the sanctifying rest of God upon me as the guarantee of my eternal life. Uh, And so to sanctify the day is to be in the proximity of God's salvation. And you were supposed to do that on Saturday as a group, right, uh, in, in uh, Hebrew tradition. Now, we do that on Sundays because of the resurrection of Jesus, but we still apply the same thinking to this thing. I mean, if you want to ask, what does the Bible say about how often you should meet together as the church? The answer is once a week, Sabbath day. 
We just moved it to the resurrection to show that the new covenant had come, that the night of sin is past and the dawn of resurrection is here. The old covenant is over. The new covenant has come. It's, it's, it's kind of beautiful, actually, eighth day and all that kind of stuff. But um, so the, the third commandment remains, though, first off, like just no matter what religion you have, man must worship his God and hear from him at least once a week, but probably more than that, because really sanctifying the day isn't just about the one day of the week you go to hear, it's about the rest of the week you would apply, which by the way, in our day and age, you can hear all week long. You can read it all week long. You can write it all week long. Like the ancient world didn't have this. You got so many advantages that you don't take advantage of because you're bored and lazy and tired and all this stuff. But, but the fact is to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy is to open your Bible first thing in the morning and pray. That isn't changed. Why do I harp on that? Because it's really important. No one's doing it. I, I should. I could take a step back to the second commandment. Uh, hallowed be His name. You, you do that when you pray the Lord's prayer, not taking His name in vain. To to seek to use His name to call upon in every trouble. Pray, praise, give thanks. Oh, oh, is that familiar, guys? Yeah. Um, th- that idea that He exists. I mean, how are these not universal? By the way, I should here. This book right here, really, if you want, if you want my long answer to this question, I know you got to pay for it, but you can get it online. Um, I go into the Ten Commandments, I go into the Lord's Prayer, and I go into the Creed. Why are these things the summary? It's not that we don't have other ways to say you should be kind, you should be gentle. <laughs> we do, but what does that mean? What does that look like? The Ten Commandments are the most succinct summary of all the potential things that could go wrong as humans you will ever find. It can't really, well, it could get shorter. It could be, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. But the debate becomes, how do you do that? How do you love God? Well, don't misuse his name. Remember to have his word in your day. Uh, submit to the authority that he sends your way, right? How do you love your neighbor? Don't kill him. Don't sleep with his wife. Don't steal his stuff. Don't tell lies about him. And well, you could be a little more content with what you got. And that would really help everything. What's wrong with that, right? I mean, so um, it, we focus on them because they have the nugget of an eternal truth that's much bigger than them being the central core of the Old Covenant codes. The reason they're the central core of the Old Covenant codes is because the nugget of truth is a natural law. It is built into creation. It reveals to us what man was supposed to be before the fall and shows us the way we should go. Now, it doesn't give you the power to achieve this, which is why the Lord's Prayer kind of closes the whole thing by rather than saying I will do this it begins to ask for all these things again an echo I go into detail about how the Lord's prayer piece by piece asks for the completion of the Ten Commandments and you know they all are given to you already in Jesus who's at the center of the whole thing it's not a bad little book this echo book it really wasn't a terrible thing so th- thanks for the question want to know about it I hope that that did help you another book question uh, Jim says without flesh means without the true supper and his benefits God incarnate in Jesus does it make sense the tendency of some Protestants uh, and it trails off there so um, yeah I, that must have been from another thing but so my book without flesh is about just that again this is the one that it came out right before COVID so it did not sell well in fact what's, it's so crazy now it sold better than this one because this one is from a publishing house right and this one is online so this one's averaging uh, about five two to five copies every three days or so and this one probably won't do that well going forward, but it did okay coming right out of the gates. Um, but this one's, this is so crazy, okay? This one sold better. This one's made more money by a, a, a leaps and bounds and miles. It's, it's so amazing the difference. This one's barely selling. Um, what's sad is now this one, I have no way to, to get you to go. I, I can't give you this. 
I can't have you read it for free like I can with this one um, because it belongs to CPH. So I just I just have to promote it to you. But this is the book I always wanted to write. Like before I wrote Broken, before I wrote Echo, I wanted to write this book. And it is written now. It is about the Lord's Supper being the antidote to your problems. Uh, it really is. Uh, and it's not even that long. It's not even that long. So without flesh is trying to have a church without Jesus. And yeah, um, we, uh, there are lots of people trying to do that because when you take away, this is my body, it has ramifications, right? It really does. Uh, Jordan says, baby, Jesus is cute and friendly. Crucifixion is ugly and messy. So the question boils down to who is your Jesus? Ow. You're right that that's why people will want to, um, that is why the Hallmark shopper <laughs> who tends to be of one sexual demographic uh they prefer the baby right why the baby's cute i don't think that's that's not really we shouldn't set you know ricky bobby against the nativity ricky bobby was funny because he's making fun of us but at the end of the day he's also blaspheming and at a certain point we're like okay that's funny because it's us but then wait a minute that's not funny because hmm. the infant in the manger is my God as an infant. He's no longer in that manger. He's a full-grown man now, but he was. He was swaddled. And the same God who was crucified is no longer crucified. He is ascended. Now, does that mean I don't want a crucifix? No, it doesn't. I'm not going to pit the crucifix against the incarnation. I'm going to say that he was born to die. He died that you and I might be born again. And these are all one big package. But you are right in that when it comes to the symbols that churches choose, it is interesting that the feminine symbols continue to reign and the masculine symbols continue to decay. Um, the ugly of the crucifixion. Hmm. Hmm. The ugly. Interesting. I, I want to talk about it, but I don't, because there is a super chat. Okay. Jedi Knight Anakin Cringe Walker says this uh, Russia will pay you to settle its Far East. Really? They have an autonomous Jewish oblast. That's interesting. Why not a Lutheran one? Byzantine, right? Lutherans already exist. Hey, you know, that sounds cool. Problem is always, you know, money. Um, <laughs> and let me tell you this if you're going to move somewhere to join a compound that's not a cult with a bunch of people who share a religion. I'm just going to say uh, my experience in the business world has led me to believe that uh, human relations matter. <laughs> human relations matter a lot. And so before you go move into Siberia with a bunch of people, you should spend some time camping. Just, I'm, I'm not kidding uh, because it's, it's, you think it's easy till you get there, right? And you realize that all these people have all the same problems that the people you didn't like before had. And as much as, you know, they like Lutheranism or they like Christianity and so do you, you all have the same problems of thinking everyone else doesn't think as much as rightly as you do. Right? Right? So, um, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm actually, I'm all for the emigration at some point, although I just emigrated here. <laughs> So I'm not leaving. You guys go. They can kill me. I'm in Illinois. It sucks, right? What are we going to do? Um, actually, I, well, 30 years from now, let's secede. Um, or I'll run for senator or something. I don't know. It's a long way away. But the question before is like, why why run? I'm not going to run. But that's the point. I want to raise a flag. Say, run here. Join me. Let's fight back. 
It's not that bad. We can take Illinois. In 20 years, they'll be done with it. They'll be done with it. We can take it. But we need, we need, you know, to build. We need to build. And so, you know, whether you're going to go do that on in the in a, in an oblast uh, in the far east uh, in Russia, I mean, hey, I don't know. I, I'd love to have a little chat with Putin someday. Um, <laughs> uh, or whether you're going to do it in Rockford, you know, there, there's a lot of good congregations that are out there. The bigger deal, I would say, is find yourself a good congregation. Like wherever it is, however close it is to you, find it and then like plan to die there if you can. I mean, if you, if the congregation's going to move, you're going to go with the congregation, right? Okay, well then, and then plan to die there. Plan to die there. Plan to, plan to die in that place and make that place awesome. And I don't mean it by like just beautiful. I mean it by like faithful. Huh? Uh, so, scrolling through. There's a bunch of, uh, a little more conversation going back and forth. I'm going to leave that and go to Jim asking this about TV. Does every TV program seek to influence you on purpose or accidentally old nature just express itself? Um, yes, yes, they do. Um, it is both on purpose and accidentally. So this is where, if you've not read Amusing Ourselves to Death by Neil Postman, you really should do yourself a favor and read that one. If you want to talk about media and what it means, but in that, uh, what'll be very clear is that, uh, all media changes you by virtue of it being what it is. You can't stop the images from like affecting the way you think and the way you see, especially over time. It, it builds up. So you have the accidental, the external impact of the media, which can be different based on what's being shown to you or how fast it's flashing and all that kind of stuff. And then you have the on purpose. That's what people are really trying to say with it. Right? What is their message? And of course, you do have people that will say things they don't mean to say, um, but I would leave that in the on purpose. That is, you know, you got man's intellectual effect with the tool, and then you have just the tool and what the tool does. And I'm going to say with Postman, my bigger concern is not what's on it. <laughs> I think this stuff just brainwashes you. It doesn't matter what's on it. It just makes you dumb. It steals your brain. Uh, it, it, it turns off your spirit. And I don't mean like in some juju way. I mean like in like an energy way. Like like I ate and I watched the movie and now I'm exhausted. Right? I don't feel good. I don't want to go outside or talk to people anymore. Like That's what I'm talking about. And so that would be the accidents of this thing. Um, uh, I don't know. No matter what you do, when you watch a story, when you listen to a story, it is going to form you. We are sponges, not rocks. And so it's not that you can't fight back, but uh, as a sponge, the amount of pressure of the story will overwhelm you. It's like viral overload. You know, you get sick from a virus, not from one, but from too many of them of the same kind, right? And so it's called viral overload. It overwhelms your system. So similarly, the words of the story of the world seek to overwhelm your system. And that's our present day. It used to be like you'd live in a small town and you'd get one bad message once in a while kind of thing, right? We have so much being thrown at you. I was just thinking this morning about mail. Like with the U.S. The US Post Office has been having trouble, right? Everyone knows that, yeah? Um, and I mean, if, would they exist without junk mail? I mean, it's not like most are budget anyway. I get it. I like sending my letters and I mean, I get most of my billings online, which is dangerous than anything as I think about it. But anyway, uh, you know, I don't know. It seems to me that most of what comes in my inbox, my mailbox, uh, when it's not Christmas time, when it's not Amazon, who's, who's like delivering it themselves because the post office can't do it fast enough, um, which uh, is its own problem. Amazon, God help us. Um, I don't get much in my mailbox besides junk mail. And so it's kind of like all the messages, 
all the influence, all the attempts to tell me. And what I know is that I know it moved my, my culture. It, know, it moved my peoples. Check it out. Yesterday, what was it yesterday? I forget which one of my kids called himself white. I think it was, think it was my son. He called himself white. And I said, never say it again. White is an idea. And it's a really bad one. Because what it does is it tells you you don't have an identity. It tells you you don't have a heritage or a name or a language. So I said, don't say you're white, my son. Say you're a Norse Italian. <laughs> I'm a Viking Roman. Deal with it. <laughs> right? Um, I'm not. I'm just the Viking. My wife's the Roman. And so, you know, we have... Uh, uh, what, what was it? He who shall mount the world, something like that. This is from this Game of Thrones again. Anyway, don't pour gold on people's heads. Um, <laughs> to subject yourself to a broad narrative, a broad story about who you are based on a color that doesn't even describe anything other than a bunch of things done by people who you are neither genetically nor culturally related to over 150 years ago in other parts of the country so that you may be taxed for it. Forgive me for saying that I'm not white. (laughs) No, I'm not. And stop calling me it. You racist. I'm not. I'm unique. I'm different. You jerk. What do you think? We all look the same. Get over yourself. If I said that, you'd be all over me. So anyway, uh, let me advocate that to you today. What are you? You're not white. You're not black. You're not brown. You're not green. You're a human. And you got a name. And you got a family name. And you got a family heritage and lineage. And that means way more than any sort of macro narrative corner they want to put you in to get you to vote the way they tell you to. It's just my opinion. I love that you guys sit here and let me do this. (laughs) I can't believe you do. Uh, I'm glad that you're willing to let it happen. Here's why. Um, We need Fight Club. We need Fight Club. We need to be able to have someone like me say stuff and be wrong. Straight up. I got to be able to. And other people too. It's one of the other weaknesses the internet and the internet as a medium has brought to us is we cannot have a discussion where we're able to be like, you're wrong. We're like, oh, but I hurt my feelings when I'm wrong. You know, no, get over it. We got to be able to talk. You got to be able to hash it. And I'm not, I'm not good at this. My feelings get hurt way too much. It's frustrating, right? Uh, pastors, we have this. We, we, we look to our sheep to like love us. That's a mistake. It's a mistake. Don't look to your children to love you. Don't look to your children for for, uh, uh, strength. You're there to be strong for them. Not the other way around. Anyway, it's all off on the TV thing. It is a brainwashing machine. And I highly recommend you... Oh, here, try this. Try this. Here's what I did, okay? Have a fast. Lent's coming up. It's a waste. You can plan. See if you can... Aside from whatever you got to do for your work, see if you cannot watch movies or play video games for a time. And instead, read. (laughs) And write stuff down. Now, there's a few of you out there I know who are like, you're like the gamers who are reading too. So I'm kind of talking to everyone else. But I'm kind of talking to you too. Here's the experiment. Do it for three days. Do it for a week. I think to get your real payoff, you want to go for a month. Here's what I found. I found that once I got far enough away from it 
time slowed down. My days began to spread out. I still have plenty of anxiety and stress, but it's it's not as back and forth. And now, as you know, I'm here. I am. I'm. I'm, on, I'm online. I do things, but what I've started doing has been targeting my in and my outs. I still fall into Twitter sometimes, but we watched a movie last night. It's the first movie I've watched. I mean, it's the first movie I've watched. I really broke the fast with that one. It was okay. Um, kids enjoyed it, which is good. Uh, it has some some good themes about you know uh, re- repenting of your selfishness and things like that. Um, honestly, it was boring. It was slow. I wanted to get up. I want to go do other stuff. You know, I, I think I think if you get time away from just the the absorbing, and you get to a point where you're able to process and think out loud with your own life, and start having it come back together for you, having some of that conscientious self authoring begin to take place. When you start to realize that whatever story you're listening to is the story you think you're living, you start writing the story yourself based on what Scripture says. You just find the other stories are, they can be a bit of a distraction. Put it that way. Um, um, I'm going to say it makes it stupid. <laughs> that goes back to, uh, this is not the story itself. Let me, let me pull that comment back up. Here it is. It says, this is my thesis. That the accidental effects of watching someone talk on a thing that's connected to the blue light, which is a drug. It, it gives your eyeballs like certain kind of dopamine effects. If you do all of that over time, it takes your ability to talk and it <laughs> squeezes it. That's my thesis. And uh, you can disagree. It's fine. But the way to test it is take a couple weeks off, read some books, write some notes. See if you don't find you're like, what happened? Whoa. It's like I emerged from the ether and I am a man. <laughs> I'm not kidding. It's, it, it's been good for me. A little, a little change of perspective. But it changes in attitude. Change, changes in latitude. Is that how it goes? Ay, 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 ay. Oof. True that pastor says, Rob K. Uh, when you look at that long term, things change. Yeah. Something like that. I don't know what that meant. But absolutely ish. All right. Melinda says, uh, a people conquers a people. Exchange idols, banners, and colors. Is that similar to the U.S. right now? Changing school names, changing statues. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's probably about right. Yeah. I mean, to think that the United States is a people, this is the lie. We're not a people. We never have been a people. We are a bunch of peoples who are talked into playing a casino game based upon real estate in the belief that this will bring about peace and happiness on earth. If you can take that, I mean, rewind it. I don't want to say it again. Rewind it and and take that. That framework is so helpful for knowing what's going on around you everywhere. Oh, it's a real estate casino. And they're talking people groups who are poor into moving here. But they're not letting everybody have a say, only the people who win the Hunger Games lottery to get to the Senate. (laughs) And it's not that easy to win. It's kind of rigged. So um, are we right now being conquered? No. Uh, Our elite leadership believes they are our conquerors. They believe that they are our rulers in a divine kings kind of way, right? Wherein the idea that they represent us is no longer the predominant mentality of the Senate, uh, of the judiciary, 
Um, they are not there to listen to us. They're there to tell us how we ought to vote so they can do what they want to do. Uh, so I don't think that's new. What's different is we're just realizing it. This is what's been so useful about Trump. He just pulled the uh, uh, the screen away from Oz. And so now we can all see it. Well, you, if you want, you know, you can continue pretending it is what it is. I don't think it's even a reason to get it's, it's disorienting, but it's not like a reason to get up in arms per se. It's just a reason to stop trusting everything they tell you. I mean, we're still the best country in the world. Well, look at me. I'm there. No one's knocking on my door to take me away. Huh? This is great. But uh, it, you know, what's it going to be? Who are they going to train your neighbors to be? Abraham Lincoln didn't care about black lives in California. You know, I, pff, that's interesting. Well, that's good because he kind of ruined the Republic, in my opinion. So maybe we can, uh, you know, reunite at some point, not in a reuniting way, but in an actual states rights kind of way. Um, it is a different conversation altogether. Ye and haw to these things. I've said yeehaw so many times. Doesn't the Philippines have a current civil war? They might, which might not be a reason not to go there. You never know. It's a big set of islands. I like islands. I like mountains better, though. All right, all right. Yep, Rob says, don't move. Serve thy neighbor where you've been placed. Yeah, I mean, you're free. You're free in either way. All right, so to do, we got a super chat from Ryan. Says this, thank you for pointing the matrix out to me from a biblical perspective and for giving me tools to keep it that way. God willing, God bless you and your work. You're welcome, Ryan. I appreciate that. Uh, Looks like we got Rob and Josh are having uh, a bit of a back and forth here. Oh, that's interesting. Somebody's doing some work in my house. Oh, that must be... I bought my son a, a, a drone. I think I can hear it. I don't know if you guys can hear it. Michael says this, Arguments against the death penalty is usually presented along with rehabilitation. The goal is to release them all. Life in a cell or death are the only real choices. Uh, I say let them choose. That's not a bad thought there. Um, although keeping people alive with food that they, you know, when they've been eating other humans or whatever. I don't know what, what, what constitutes death penalty. I'm not in the judiciary. And, it, and to me, this, this issue is so tangential. We're going to argue over 18 lives. You know how many people we've, we've aborted? It's ridiculous. I, don't, I, I lose track. One third of everybody. I mean, from this point on, it's like one third of everybody has been aborted. And we're worried about 18 lives of convicts who are at the highest level of brutal crime. Jeez. Um, Ardith, Ardith, chimes in she's talking with, with uh, joshua says our lord be with you i uh, always appreciate you sharing here uh connections healthcare cost containment all right it's all about humility 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 abomination number one pride aka pomp and circumstance uh question mark on that yeah so what is pride i've been thinking about this too and what is humility because i i think those two terms don't really help us as much as they used to humility itself is almost like a form of pride now i think People talk about humility as if it's something you can earn, right, or or get. Um, so, at the start of the show, I talked about you know the tendency to want to say like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that, we're gonna do this tomorrow, we're gonna do this. That's what the Bible calls pride. It's not about I'm so great. It's not about you know look at my house. I mean, it can lead to that. Those can be, a, you know, your material possessions or whatever can, can be uh, a part of your pride. But the real thing that pride is, is simply the belief that you are sovereign to do what you choose. So I'm going to go put my shoes on. Like to think that I can do that without God allowing me to do that. That's pride. And then humility is the opposite of that is to acknowledge that no matter what I do, 
I have only been able to do what I've been allowed to do. And that's humility. If you can have both of those things, it's like, a, again, a framework for how you think through who you are. It's not that it will stop you from being proud. You're going to be proud all the time. You're going to walk around planning to do so. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to go, right? But, but the word of God in and around you will funnel the going toward what it should be doing. So you're going what God wants you to do, go, go and do in the first place. And then um, you also will have enough pause to stop and say, should I be doing this? Is this what I want to do? If the Lord wills, I will do this. I had a friend say it recent to me, recently to me. He said something like, um, you know, <laughs> I've been looking for this thing for so long, uh, like six months. And Sunday I was like, you know, maybe I should pray for it. And so he did, like with Jesus' name out loud. And that week he had two show up, <laughs> the thing he was looking for, right? Uh, so I uh, taking a page out of that, I mean, I, I've been wanting to write, I've been writing books, for a while. I've been wanting to write fiction for a while. I finally decided to pray about it. <laughs> I always assumed it was what I was supposed to be doing. I was trained to be a pastor. I got the theology. I got the writing degree. It's like, oh, I'm supposed to write. But never thought like, Lord, should I? Like, like there was never that moment. And that's how, I don't know, how arrogant I am as if I'm alone. But the, that's the point. You don't stop to ask, do you? you? Don't pause to wonder. If the Lord wills, then I shall. And let me suggest that anxiety is kind of tied to this too. So your desire to go do without a, if the Lord wills is where the anxiety comes from, because if Lord wills knows that it might not happen. So you're not going to get as anxious about it because you're ready for it to not happen. Right. But if, if you don't have that and you're just assuming I'm going to go do this, then you know how much the world can stop you and you're going to have a lot more anxiety. Isn't it funny how so many of these, I'm not saying anxiety goes away forever and stay on your medication if you got it, (laughs) but, but isn't it funny how many of these things are just the conglomeration of mental tools and tricks that have been impounded on our heads by the assumptions of our culture and the way our culture looks at life and psychology, which I would contend has been trained into you by how many hours a day of the screen did you watch? Ah, The more you watch, the more you're trained. But I only do this thing in the corner and this and that and only that. Okay, whatever. You got to know that you're in the matrix. You got to know it. And if you don't, then the matrix has you. It's just that. It's that simple. So, uh, boop, 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 scrolling down more. Um, I don't know what that one means, so I can't say that one, Michael. It sounded like it might have been good, but it might have been... Um, it, it, it was typed a little weird. Uh, Hi, Rafisk. Do you have an opinion on the church program called The Story? I know that a few LSMS churches are using it on the West Coast. <laughs> uh, I don't know much about it, honestly. It's like, it's the Bible, right? It's like a, a short, fast, here's the life of Jesus thing. Here, here's the thing. If you're doing a program at your church... I'm just going to say the writing's on the wall. (laughs) Like, if you've got to go, right now, today, you're a pastor, you're a church, you're a leadership group at church, and you're looking at our world, and you think anything that anybody has published before today in the last 15 years is what you need to take your congregation through, I can't help you. Um, You need to be in the Bible straight up. And the story and theories to go back to the Bible, that's great. How about we just do the Bible? How about we open the Bible and do the life of Jesus? How about we learn what Jesus said, right? Like, why do we have to suddenly have a big show to try to say we're going to do that 
because no one's listening because we haven't really been doing it, right? And that's just it. So that's great. You want to do the story? That's fine. You want to baptize it and make it cool and use the pictures? I don't care. My my thing is, like, can you get up and start saying what the text actually says now? Or are you going to keep trying to soft pedal some sort of like dainty, doily, white wine Christianity to to what? To who? Who's your market for this? Really? It's not it's not the pagan. <laughs> uh, it, it isn't. Uh, and I'm not even sure it's the Christian now. Now, who wants it? People are trying to hide. That's who. Well, how about you just dig into the Bible? Um, so, Melinda, I'm not against it necessarily. And, and like, I'm all for, like, you got a youth group or whatever, and you want to watch a movie with Jesus. And I, I guess that's fine. I just don't see how these things, these things didn't prep us for the crisis we're in. So I'm like, all right, you know, throw the excess weight overboard. Let's move on with what we had when we floated into this pool, right? Which was word and sacrament is what most of our congregations had. And that's it. Bible, uh, confession, supper, let's go. Liturgy, let's get a hymn, let's do it. And then let's stay together with that for a bit. And why don't we all, like no matter how old we are, let's all like come to the same thing and be a be a people. <laughs> oh man, we they, they set us up. They set us up uh, to fall apart and we have just followed it. Um, <laughs> Robert says we need more Lutherans in Idaho. Idaho is like the promised land for Lutherans. I thought Idaho and Wyoming, and nobody else there, right? Ah, uh, goodness. Da, 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 da. Back and forth going on. I'm gonna skip over a little bit. We got a super chat from Jordan. He says this: "Merry Christmas, Pastor Fisk, faithfully preaching the word to us here on YouTube." I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, you know, um, it's the day after Christmas, and I, again, you guys are all. What'd you get? Did you get cool stuff? I don't know. We could talk about that. Rob says, uh, we do not need fight club. We need argument club. Maybe, but not wailing on others for fun. I actually think guys could use some fight club, maybe not fight club style, but like some martial arts, uh, like, excuse me, Brazilian jujitsu. My understanding, like when you get into those kind of communities, uh, the ability of the men to be able to aggressively go at each other, like, like they're going to kill each other and then stop and be like, Hey man, that's all good. Like that's important to men. And we've removed that from Western society. We don't, I mean, sports a little bit, although even that, like you're not allowed anymore. And then the girls are playing too. And then the guys are playing the girls sports, I, uh, whatever. But, but we need a place where the guys can, can just get at it and test their metal. And um, so fight club is, is it. Um, I'm not necessarily saying all the pastors at every circuit convention should, you know, get together and just punch each other, but you know, it wouldn't hurt us to do a little uh, twister or something. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no twister josh good to see you josh says this uh perhaps during a fast from the world's narrative we might consider what stories we ought to engage when we return from the fast we need stories but we need the ones that are salutary agreed and that's exactly it so part of my own fast has been my decision that i'm going to make a canon for my family that is uh we're going to slowly decide what what talking pictures we allow, right? and that that we will uh, uh, this will be the fisk library of talking pictures for all eternity, right? So that you know, going on to their kids, this is our canon of what we think is culturally cool. So we're gonna be like the the nineteen eighties Amish, right? It's all Marty McFly. Just kidding. Uh, but the idea is just that you have to pick and choose the gold from the midst of the garbage that's out there more and more. And especially right now, anything that's being produced right now probably is not that great unless it's privately being produced. And so, you know, hang tight. 
um, and go back and pick the things that you know worked before. If it's all been done before, it's already been done well. Why do you need to support the current chaos by spending money on their movies where they think that, that we all still care about what they think? That's that's part of where I'm at too. I'm just done paying money to that machine. I do not want to um, have them tell me how to think anymore. I'm really tired of it. Good morning, Arsant Angel Fire. Is anyone familiar with the discussion about theosis for his, his mystical union and the idea of salvation by participation? Yeah, you want a rabbit trail to completely get your conscience confused on and and argue with people who don't believe in grace for no good reason because they just need to fit their works into something, um, go into this discussion. The, the long and short is that we're one with Jesus, and that makes us one with the divine, and that's kind of a mystery. And so the mystical union is the idea that you are one with God now, because we took the Lord's Supper recently, right? Yesterday was Christmas, so yeah, yeah you're divine. But see, clearly you're not, right? Like, look at you. <laughs> um, and so it's it's the Christian divine that is by faith alone through our participation in Christ. There you are, salvation by participation in Christ. What am I participating in? What am I a fellow shape with? What I'm common unity with is the man who is God. And so therefore I am one with God in Jesus Christ, not by the divine spark of paganism, blah, but because of Jesus Christ. So since I am one for, with God, have I not become one with God? And the answer is yes, but then can't that be misunderstood? And the answer is yes. And this is why theosis is a big debate that's just not worth going into. Because at the end, you're going to have some people who are saying, yes, you can be one with God in the way that's wrong. And you're like, oh, but that's not what it's supposed to mean. And you're like, well then, okay, there's the problem, right? So the discussion is about trying to pin down how Jesus saves you in such a way that you can be able to pat yourself on the back just a touch. Or acknowledging Jesus got this whole thing and it's like divinely so mysterious that even I, poor, miserable wretch that I am, rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God and in fact one with the eternal divine trinity forever. Which means I should probably not be as afraid of COVID as I've been. Right? Right. Right. So, but, but does that mean that I'm sort of Giver transmogrifying myself into some higher non-bodily, exp- I mean, there's a lot of danger in that theosis word uh, if you go into everything that it could possibly mean. I know there's Lutherans out there that really want to save it. I don't know why. Why? Why don't we just talk about how you're in Jesus? It seems like that makes a lot more sense to me than trying to invent 50 cent theological terms that got dis- <laughs> that immediately caused problems and had debate about. What, why? Why, why, why? I don't see it. I don't see it. Oh, Brian. Good morning. Brian shows up. Merry Christmas to Pastor Fisher family. Thank you, Brian. Um, do, 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 looking to see anybody else who's a name I haven't seen. I don't know if Adam has spoken. What if it's not abortion versus death penalty? What if it's life versus death? Imagio Dei versus space dust. So you're saying like the argument against death penalty is that he's in the image of God and so he should not be killed. Um, on what basis? Uh, you know, I mean, the Bible doesn't say that. So you're just making it up. That's that's my answer right there. Good reformed kind of thing. Hey, the Bible has a word in it. Let's make up conclusions and say that's what the Bible says. <laughs> Sorry, guys. It does happen. You're welcome, Melinda, for answering your questions. Absolutely. Continuing to scroll down and just see what else you guys got here because I don't have much else planned. we got about 10 minutes left. Oh, you know what I didn't do that I did plan is we haven't looked at Talk Them Into It. Let's do that. Let's do that. Uh, desktop. There we go. Um, so we're going to go through. This is on page 32 of my book, Talk Them Into It, which thank you for buying it. Please continue to do so. Most books don't last more than three months, especially without a publisher promoting them. And we're right at that three-month mark now. And we've started to grow our sales by like two books a week. 
<laughs> maybe maybe a little more than that even. It's uh, maybe three to five, seven books a week. But that's the plan. That's where we want to be right now. We want to see that slowly start to claw, claw up. Um, I'm at the point where uh, one of these weeks I'm going to go through and do my, my, my refix on this. You know, you can see I'm not on that page as much. As I've read through this, I've got a lot of notes about things I want to clean up, uh, sentences that could be better. So there's there's definitely more craft that could go in to talk them into it. But the basic points aren't going to change. And the substance of this is a devotional book for you to help your mind just on the meta narrative of talking to people about Jesus because it's true. Well, that's that's what it's for, right? So here here we go. Um, discernment of ulterior motives, right? So we're talking about conversations. When you're in a conversation with somebody, it's always possible that they're going to lie to you. And so, well, to know that, to realize someone's lying to you about, say, how they feel about their religion. Hey, do you like your religion? Oh, of course I do. My religion's great. I go to church once a while. Um, I like God, right? Okay, so, so discerning the ulterior motive. Actually, that one shouldn't have required much patience. You should have seen right through that one. But to learn to do it in real time with people requires patience. You've got to listen. They're all going to tell you they love God. They're all going to tell you they're doing great. So you have to wait. You have to wait. You will not get it right until you've learned how to get it wrong and pivot. That is, you're going to have to listen long enough to realize you've made assumptions about the person that are incorrect. And you're going to have to figure out who they really are. Huh? Bringing consistent returns to your relationships with others should be the easy part for you. That is, to stay who you are and always try to respond with the same sort of mindset and, and kindness, that should be the easy part, right? You claim to be a Christian after all, even if it means you're not a gem about it, ensuring that your yes always means yes and your no always means no is beyond no man but a depraved liar. And by that I mean a man intent on remaining so. Right? So the most important thing to do with your relationship with somebody who is not a Christian is to not lie to them. To <laughs> But but like in a really clear way, like when you say, yes, I will be here at this time, like do it, right? When I say, no, I can't do it. Or be willing to say no rather than maybe. To be honest enough and to care about them enough to not lead them on. Yeah? So making your yes mean yes, your no mean no. This is a standard Christ Christian ethic. You owe it to all your neighbors to bring them these consistent returns. Christians will not be depraved liars, but honest fools of nothing else, right? So that's really your goal is to be the honest fool in their life. Assume. I believe my religion, but my religion's foolish and yours is wise. So tell me about your wise religion, O oh, great not Christian. And I will sit here and I will listen. Because although, uh, you know, I, I won't be a liar, I'm willing to acknowledge I could be a fool. My eyes are on an empty tomb. My feet are at the foot of the cross. And the world might be laughing around me as I pray, burning as I pray. But nonetheless, that's what I'll choose, right? But the point is, I believe that and the history of Jesus, his resurrection is so firm and solid, it can't be overturned. So I'm really not too worried about being the fool in the conversation, taking that role with the other person, letting them think that they're the confident one, especially because I know most people really don't know what they're talking about when it comes to their religion. And it won't be more than three or four sentences before they really kind of put themselves out to dry. My goal not being to expose them, but again, to let them expose themselves. And the more that they expose themselves to be able to help them see, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, but it's your religion. So let's figure it out. Right. And, oh, you don't, you don't, you don't. How about mine? <laughs> Eventually. Right. So they will not know our love by our niceties, but by our fidelity, our faithfulness, both to them and to each other. For in our Lord, there is no darkness at all, as John just told us uh, this Christmas time here again. I'll give you one more page here. If they hate you, that's just what Jesus said would happen. So get used to it. Life is not fair. 
And thank God, or we all would be burning in hell, right? Grace, grace means life is not fair. So get used to this life not giving you what you want and be grateful that the next life is better than you deserve. Now, what's not fair is for you to whine about it every time you have to suffer a little public shame. As if anything in life were actually about you and your feelings to begin with. Ain't that a thing? How much have we taught Christians that life is about you and your feelings? And if we're having trouble as churches and our programs aren't working, could it be because we all think life is about us and our feelings? Do you go to church to get feelings? Or do you go to church because Jesus is there? And there's really a big difference. And you're going to get feelings from Jesus one way or the other. But like, is that what it's about? Is getting what you want? Or is it about Jesus being who he is? You know, your feelings are a gift from God, right? All of them, even the hurt ones. But your feelings are not life. They are not even you. Well, that's a thought. You want to do that one for a second? Yeah, hold on, hold on. This one's kind of fun. It's hard. This is like a, this is an old, <laughs> it's an old atheist mindfulness trick. <laughs> Sorry, I'm way too tickled with that. Um, so if you can catch, it's hard to do it when you're in the moment. But if you can catch yourself with an emotion that is like a negative one, one that, one that you really don't like much, anger, sadness, whatever. Take a deep breath. I can do it a couple times probably, but as you take that deep breath and you find that inside of you, there's a breather, right? There's one to whom the breath is coming and one from whom the breath goes. And you'll find that's not your emotions. That, that one who is breathing, that, that presence of mind that also is not an individual thought. You try to catch that presence of mind. It'll like dance. You can't even find it in your head. It's like, where'd it go? Right. But there you are. You don't go anywhere. And so in this way, your feelings aren't you. And if in any given moment where you're having a feeling you don't like, I mean, real extreme, like level nine or 10 pain isn't going to work this way. But like even a level two or three pain, you can kind of do it. it. It won't make it go away. But like the low headache, you can actually be like, oh, wow. Like that headache is not, it's not all of my experience. It's one input of my many experiences. Is it my body? Yes. Do I have a way of like distancing it from me to recognize that while it is in my body and of my body, it is not the same as my body, right? Your headache is not your head. <laughs> it's something that's hurting your head. And so your feelings are not your life. They're part of how you are experiencing your life. They are a way that you feel for the moment, but that's the good news. They pass, right? You don't, the feelings do. The moment of shame when someone scolds you and shames your person because you have said something about Jesus is just that, a moment a moment of shame, a moment of an embarrassment, a moment of fear. It's just that, a moment. And in that particular one, a moment in which they hate Jesus so much that their religion demands that they hate you too, right? Although, although at times that same moment is one in which you think you're going to be ashamed and you find instead they say, please tell me more. Or, oh, I've never heard that before. Or, oh, thank you so much for saying that. That means a lot, huh? So, but part of getting there is recognizing both your feelings are from God and yet they're not you. And so you can distance yourself from your feeling of offense or anger or fear or shame because of this other person and what they said in order to be there, to be able to discern what they're really thinking and put yourself in a position where you can talk about your God in whom there is no darkness. Yeah, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, ascended to all eternity, rules, lives, reigns, all these very good things. Yeah. All right. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Moving stuff around. We are now with just a few moments left. I still want to scroll down to the bottom here and see what else we got. Um, oh, 
so we got questions for uh, we got questions for Wolf Mueller. Oh, come on now, coming in here. Uh, they're asking Jim asks Wolf Mueller, uh, "Do you miss the snow in Colorado now that he's down in Austin?" All he can talk about is Everbook, <laughs> which is all right uh, uh, for sure. So I guess I'll do a, a couple commercials here. If you have not picked up, talk them into it. You can get the free copy. Uh, you get the free digital copy by going and signing up for Mad Mondays, which if you've watched this far, you probably know about it. But just in case you don't, it's a newsletter that comes out every single Monday. Data mines what you need from the white noise to help influence your Christianity with the resurrection of Jesus as the primary narrative of your life. We also have the Mad Christian Discord, a place where you can chime in before you get off the Internet uh, with other Christians who likewise understand the matrix nature of this dark and evil age. Know that we have to engage the battle and yet also know that it's probably better to go read a real book and breathe the real oxygen from time to time. So that's the Mad Christian Discord um, or Mad Mondays. Uh, both of those things are there to help encourage you in your walk with Christ in this age. Um, you can encourage me by supporting Saturday Morning Chill, Mad Mondays, Mad Christian Discord. All these things take cash. It comes out of my pocket. I get that from you when you give it to me via Patreon. So if you go find Rev Fisk on Patreon, it's the primary cash operation by which this entire thing takes place. And so without you... I'd probably still do it anyway, but it wouldn't be as cool. In fact, I well, I might not be able to do it at the end of the day. So uh, Patreon is the way to support if you can. Some of you have said in the past that you don't like Patreon because they take a, a charge. That is true. Do you know that if you just send money to me via PayPal at my email address, um, which I'll give you if, you if you reach out and want to use that instead of Patreon, um, that'll work as well. They'll Up to a certain amount of money every year, um, you can give gifts via PayPal without it having to be involved. But that takes a lot more work on your side. The thing about Patreon that is nice is you can kind of set it and forget it for yourself. You don't have to think about it every week, which when you're just going to give me five bucks a month. You know, you don't want to think about it every week or every month. All right. I feel like there's one more big thing that I always talk about that I should talk about more. What did we do? We did talk them into it. We did Patreon. We did Mad Mondays. Am I missing one? I gotta be missing one. Oh, well. Merry Christmas, people. Merry Christmas. Uh, if, if you follow the podcast and listen to the sermons, uh, I do have the weekend off of preaching, so there won't be any uh, live sermon from me streaming tomorrow. Uh, but you got a couple of extra sermons from the previous two days. Uh, go listen to those. I, I, I did finally. I haven't listened to myself for a while, but they, I needed those sermons. They were, they were very encouraging for me. Uh, Merry Christmas, and we will see you with a new episode of Brief History of Power coming out this week, and then a week from now, Saturday morning. Chill. Hey, Internet. My name is Jonathan Fisk. I'm here to rescue you. Jesus Christ is risen from the dead and you are paid for, which means you're immortal now and he's not going to be long anyway. So what you doing wallowing in the muck with those who have no hope? You should lift up your head, Christian, son of God, heir to the eternal throne, Giver, yeah, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>